I want to begin a message this morning reading a couple passages from, uh, well, first from the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 16, verse 32, just one verse, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Or as another version has it, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who takes a city. And then these words from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, beginning at verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, whenever I read that passage, I always kind of, I'm, I'm stumped by these words. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the, and the illusion is a little bit obscure but basically, uh, hopefully, through your kind deeds, the kind deeds you do to an enemy, that you will bring that enemy to repentance. Uh, and, uh, and so it's kind of an obscure thing, um, but that's what that means. Uh, hopefully, they will, they will not go into punishment, you know, eternal punishment for what they've done, but will repent and uh, reconcile. Well, we have been looking at, uh, at David in the Old Testament, and la- last we left off, David was on the run. He was being chased all over the countryside by King Saul, jealous King Saul, and his army of, what, 6,000 men. And uh, he ultimately found refuge in the wilderness in, in southern Judea, in a place called Paran, and David managed to gather some men around him. Uh, perhaps these were uh, former soldiers, maybe uh, you know, members of, of uh, the military that perhaps he had led in battle, I don't know. But he gathered these men, and it wasn't long before David had a small private army of about 600 men. And to support themselves out there in the wilderness, they went into business as a kind of neighborhood protection agency. And David and his men would, uh, would, uh, would protect ranchers and farmers from marauding bands of outlaws and sheep stealers in return for occasional gifts of food and drink and a share of the ranchers' profits. And by all accounts, they did their work very well. Shepherds spoke highly of them, saying, we never missed anything when we were in the fields as long as we were with them keeping the sheep. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day. So as long as David and his men were around, protecting things, looking things over, watching over the the flocks and the shepherds, all was safe and secure. Well, one day David instructed his men to collect from one very well-to-do rancher by the name of Nabal, whose name in Hebrew means fool. Now, I don't know what his mother and father were thinking. When they named their little one Nabal, fool, uh, but nevertheless, that is the name that uh, he had to live with. (laughs) 
And as I say, Nabal was very rich. He had a thousand sheep and a thousand goats. And he had a beautiful wife named Abigail. And since Nabal had a reputation of being rather surly and mean, David counseled his men on how they ought to approach him. And so David says to them, go up to Nabal at, at Carmel, and greet him by name, and say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. In other words, David says, now butter the guy up. So maybe, you know, he'll be generous. And then David goes on to counsel his men to say to Nabal, Now I hear that this sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men. Since we come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And so when David's men come to Nabal to collect, they were greeted with insulting words. Who is this David? And who is this son of Jesse? I mean, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a man who comes from who knows not where? In other words, Nabal was saying, no way, Jose. Thumbed his nose at David, even though he knew that he had a rather large private army. I mean, uh, Nabal wasn't called fool for nothing. <laughs> well, the man reported back to David, and David just lost it. I mean, maybe David was already having a bad day and he was stressed out. I mean, it was a stressful thing being chased around by King Saul with an army of 6,000 men. Uh, but whatever it was, Nabal's insolent words struck a really raw nerve. And David exploded in anger. What does he mean he doesn't know who I am? Where does he get off likening me and my army to a villainous band of escaped servants? Am I a slave? Ha! He has no appreciation for what I have been doing for him. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And so David proceeded to lead an army of 400 men to kill Nabal and all the males in his household. I mean, talk about overkill. I mean, 400 men to kill Nabal and a few of uh, the men in, her, in his household. It's kind of like killing a mouse with a bazooka. You know, so David lost control. Uh, nothing would do now but winning sweet revenge. Nobody's going to treat me that way. And, uh, you know, that revenge, he could, he, could, he, could, he could almost taste it. Vengeance is mine, saith David. Now, that does not sound like the David we know. We know David to be a spiritual man, right? A man after God's own heart. 
And up to this point, David has displayed a great deal of patience, waiting upon the Lord in prayer and seeking wisdom and guidance. He was a man who was full of the Spirit of God. And he showed a great deal of restraint in not killing King Saul in the cave when he had an opportunity to do so. But now his self-restraint has just gone to pieces. And a few insulting words from a fool like Nabal has set him aflame with anger. As I say, David just kind of loses it. So here's David with his uh, army, 400 men, advancing towards Nabal's ranch in Carmel. Not the Carmel we know, but the one in the Middle East. And David's anger burned the closer he got to Nabal. Every passing mile, he got madder and madder. Man, am I going to teach him a lesson. But then all of a sudden, he noticed coming in the, in, you know, in the distance and then coming closer and closer was a caravan, a small caravan, led by a woman. And uh, when uh, the caravan came to, the, to David and to his men, uh, they discovered that, uh, that they were bearing gifts. And it turns out that those gifts were for David and his men. There were 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine. I think they would need more wine for 400 men. I don't know. But two jugs. <laughs> yeah, well, they were bigger jugs back then, you know. <laughs> and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 fig cakes. And the woman was Abigail... Nabal's wife, who took it upon herself without consulting with her husband Nabal, because he, she knew he was a fool, <laughs> she came to stave off disaster by presenting David with these gifts, hoping to get in his good graces and that he might listen to reason. And so, listen to the Scripture we read, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Resourceful and wise, not to mention captivatingly beautiful, which helped. Abigail knew exactly what to say to David, and she gave a most marvelous speech. It was like this. Um, she fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal, 
And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. Abigail, at great risk to herself, with all of the wisdom and tact she could muster, tried to defuse a very dangerous situation. And uh, so she was uh, practicing a little conflict resolution. Basically, she was saying, David, remember who you are. You are the next king of Israel. You are God's anointed. Don't ruin your record with murder. Because, David, you're bigger than that. Yes, you have been wronged, but murder isn't the answer. Please don't take matter into your own hands. If you will kill Nabal the fool, then you are no better than him. You would also be a fool. Wait, David, wait. Take what I have provided and go back. And then we read, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Abigail's efforts paid off. Disaster was averted. Thanks be to God. Now you see, it was David, not just Nabal, who was spared personal disaster. To retaliate, as Abigail said, would have put him on the same level as Nabal. Someone has said, in taking revenge, a person is but even with his enemy, but in his passing over, he is superior. David showed himself to be superior to Nabal that day. So, Abigail went home to her husband Nabal, but when she did, she found Nabal drunk as a skunk after a party. So she had to wait until the next day. And then after Nabal sobered up, 
She told him the whole story. And upon hearing it, Nabal had a stroke, literally, and he died 10, year, ten days later. And then Abigail became David's wife, <clears throat> to, add, to add to his collection. <laughs> She was captivatingly beautiful. So, who is the hero in this story? Yes, Abigail, of course, but more than that, it was God who used Abigail to intervene at a critical point of David's life and kept him from doing something really stupid that he would later regret. In fact, David acknowledged that. The Lord sent you to me. And remember, the, whole, the, the, the central hero of the whole story of David is not, it's not David, it's, it's God who's working his purposes out through David and through the folks that he encounters and through the people of Israel and the history. You know, anger can so easily get the best of us it's a, it's a normal human emotion, but at a certain point, it can become extremely dangerous and debilitating. Severe anger can be a form, actually, of insanity. Someone has said, anger blows out the lamp of the mind. Really, you tempor temporarily lose your mind. You lose your reason. You are insane. Whenever you're not in control of your own emotions or of your own behavior. And if it weren't for a, a woman named Abigail, David would have been guilty of committing murder. You know, and we, we see that being played out in our society all the time, right? Over-the-top anger, people act rashly and do the most stupid things hurting not only themselves, but others, of course. It's no wonder that anger is one of the seven deadly sins, actually. So, what lessons are there in this story for you and for me? How can we get some handles on how to deal with our own rage and our longings for revenge when we are wronged? Well, as an aid to memory... I want to suggest that when we find ourselves flying off the handle, being outraged because, you know, we've been provoked and wanting to seek revenge, we ought to delay and pray and display. Isn't that clever? <laughs> you like the alliteration in that? Delay, pray, and display. I don't often do that, but that's kind of cool. Abigail got David to delay his reactions. Would you stop for a minute, David, and think about this? Would you calm down? You're overreacting. Don't do something you will regret later. And you know, we all need someone in our lives who can say that sort of thing to us. It can kind of bring us back to our senses. It's always better to slow down when provoked. Again, as the proverb reads, one who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and one whose temper is, self, is controlled 
than one who captures a city. It was a Roman philosopher, Seneca, who said, the greatest remedy for anger is delay. In a similar vein, centuries later, Thomas Jefferson counseled, when angry, count to ten before you speak. If very angry, count a hundred. Good practical advice. I don't know if you've learned that from other, from your mom or dad or, you know, from other people, but, uh, you know, it actually makes a lot of sense. Count to a hundred. And some of us, I know, have a really quick trigger, you know. Man, count. When wrong, delay is the way to keep us from doing something really foolish. Delay opens up possibilities to deal with a hot situation in a more constructive fashion. So delay and then pray. When we stop and pray, we take the focus off ourself and our hurt, and we remember God. God's able to give us a bigger perspective on things, a bigger picture. And in prayer, we remember not only who God is, but who we are and whose we are. In the story, Abigail reminded David that he was the Lord's anointed and that to kill Nabal was beneath his dignity. He belonged to the Lord and was called to a life of high purpose. Now, you and I may not have an Abigail in our lives, but we can always pray, and when we do, we are reminded that we too are the Lord's anointed, called to a higher purpose and to a different quality of life. And we have to realize that to act on our anger and exact revenge is to deny who we are as children of God. It's to deny who we are as Christians. So when we pray, the Holy Spirit reminds us of these things, and we are given wisdom and strength to deal with our anger in positive ways. And in prayer, we're also able to let go of our desire for revenge by releasing it to God. For God says, vengeance is mine. Leave it to me. Let God handle the justice issue. Because if you take matter into your own hands, you're just going to make it worse. In prayer, God broadens our vision. The temporary insanity we experience recedes, and we can begin to reason again. Delay and then pray. And then display, and by that I mean showing good to those who have hurt us. Displaying goodwill toward our enemy, whether we feel like it or not. So this is the New Testament teaching that goes beyond the behaviors and the actions of our Old Testament story. I mean, could David have show, actually shown goodwill to Nabal in spite of the way he was so rudely treated? Could he in some way, in some fashion, have overcome evil with good? Well, it wasn't within David at that point. But see, it's not enough not to exact revenge and do no harm but Jesus Christ calls us to act of love and the pursuit of peace. And Paul echoes the teaching of the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Love must be displayed to those who spitefully use us. And that is hard teaching, is it not? The hardest command in the whole Bible. Love your enemies. Bless, don't curse. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit within us is that even possible for you and me. Now, I think we have all been there with David. Someone offends us. Someone crosses us. And our self-importance flares up and... You know, our self-image is bruised, and by golly, we're off to do something about it, to avenge our hurt feelings. We'll get even, we say. Man, they're going to get their comeuppance. We'll show them a thing or two. But then we may very well become the fool, doing something rash that we may regret, we may regret later. And man, if I think, as I think about my life, if only I could take back some of the really stupid stuff I've said and done when I was really angry. Oh, man. Thank the Lord for God's forgiveness. I'm a sinner. You know, this desire to revenge, to, 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 to lash out, we only hurt ourselves. Resentment. We're only hurting ourselves. And we further, further the endless cycle of retaliation and revenge. It doesn't go anywhere. Like I say, it makes matters worse. So, God, save us from ourselves. And, Lord, if there's an Abigail in our life, we are blessed. Bring more Abigails into our life. Restore us to our right mind. And when provoked by another, let us learn to delay and to pray and display good instead of evil. So may it be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.